This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Say what you will about this city, <laughs> but but exhibiting masterful real estate development chops, you hold your tongue. Yeah. They're good at that, okay? You hold your tongue. <laughs> Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Kogo. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor-in-chief at Voice of San Diego, and I'm joined, as always, by managing editor for our special projects and investigative work, Andrew Keats. What's up, Andy? Not much, man. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Great. And fellow managing editor, Andrea Lopez Villafaña. What's up, Lopez? Hey, Lewis. Coming up on the show this week, the ongoing fallout from the Nathan Fletcher scandal. I have never seen a meltdown like this with so many far-reaching public policy implications. We'll go through them quickly. Also, our multimedia journalist Ariana Dressler spent weeks getting to know several homeless residents camping in San Diego. Dressler will join us to talk about what they told her and the amazing photo essay she produced. It was good stuff. Yes. It was a timely presentation, too, because the debate about homelessness in San Diego has entered a new chapter. As the city of San Diego works to supply more shelter options for homeless residents, providers are struggling to find permanent homes for people who are already in those shelters. They call it a resource desert. The new findings are Lisa Halverstadt reported. Meanwhile, the city is plowing ahead on an ordinance that would make it illegal for homeless residents to camp almost anywhere in San Diego, even if there's no shelter space. Stay with us. But first, our next live podcast is on the books. Live! Let's go! Live, in person, on Wednesday, May 10th, we'll be at Whistlestop Bar in North Park. We'll bring two special guests for that show, Voice of San Diego members, Get In Free. That's a $3 a month thing. Or you can get tickets for $15. Check it out at VOSD.org slash events. Actually, it's like $2.95 a month. Oh, nice. Right? That or might as well be three. Yes. Yeah. you love journalism and support Right, throw show. in the extra nickel, right? Yeah. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> that link is in the show notes. We'll see you there. 
That's VOSD.org slash events. We've seen a lot of people melt down in San Diego. We've seen big things change. We've seen big settlements. We've seen uh, Ponzi schemes. We've seen big storms. We have seen a lot. We've seen COVID. But I cannot remember a single individual coming down this fast and taking so much with him as the Nathan Fletcher ongoing saga has been. It is just, it is, it's just incredible. So let's start with an update. So this is a pretty significant one. Last week, we talked about the county of San Diego. It is managed. It's 18,000 employees. Most of them are overseen by the CAO, the chief administrative officer of the county. That The last two have been known for this stability, this technocratic sort of management style, and uh, this county has been operationally pretty sound over the last, what, 15 years, right? And so uh, they need to hire a new one. So it's kind of like the mayor of the county. In a way, they have to hire this manager of the county and they were about to, what's become clear is they were about to hire a woman from the Bay Area, from Santa Clara, a supervisor they, there named Cindy Chavez, who was also a labor leader, who, when you read the stories about her, like they're, they're just filled with all of, these, all of this praise from a lot of different angles. Now, she's obviously a labor Active. It's been it's been funny to see how quickly so many people in San Diego became experts on Cindy Chavez, yeah. the <laughs> San Jose Labor Council leader. Yeah, <laughs> like uh, so uh, cards on the table. I don't know much about her except no. what I've read. Exactly. Right? That's why I, we all you know caught up as best we could. So the yeah. the the news first leaked out of La Prensa, and then the the San Jose Mercury News grabbed it, and a bunch of uh, places up there. They obviously thought it was an important story. So the that seems to have been going forward. And then we talked about the conspiracy theory last week mm-hmm. that Nathan had delayed his resignation until mid-May so that he could weigh in on this and make this work, make this actually happen. And if you think about it, this would be the culmination, really, of the five-year project that labor and progressives and the movement on the left that helped get Nathan Fletcher into office and also... Nora Vargas and then Tara Lawson Reamer to give them a majority. This is like the culmination in a way of that entire movement, right? To institutionalize somebody in a role like this with the principles that she has. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, again, stipulating that I don't know much about her personally. I've never spoken to her and I didn't have, didn't know, I didn't know her name prior to when it popped up in a story yeah. 10 days ago. But just going by her biography. There could be no more illustrative transformation from Walt Eckerd, the operations technocrat, trains run on time, CAO when I moved to the city, to a former labor council leader turned elected official who was elected from the, you know, by with the support of a progressive liberal faction of of supporters and interest groups coming into that position it would i mean it's just it's 
night and day. It, it couldn't be more different. And yeah, so that this would have been. It's just, I guess it's the long way of saying it's not a small thing. This is not a minor vote. This is not just like, well, we had high hopes for this one thing. And so much so that I guess you could maybe start to see how you they could talk themselves into. Would people get too mad if Nathan comes back for one last vote? Yeah. Or just squeezes in. Just squeezes back in, doesn't say anything, presses the button, walks back out, waves and says, all right. As we so talked, long, San Diego. As we talked about last week, though, that yeah. would be an act of political bare knuckled aggression. Yeah, unlike anything mm-hmm. I could, I can fathom. Now, nothing against the rules or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But and so it it seemed plausible. Maybe that was going to happen. There was a closed session of the county uh, the week before this whole thing blew up, and it does talk about. Uh, in there, like the recruitment as one reason why they can have that closed session. It was a Saturday special Saturday session. Mm. And so I think there's some indication that maybe that's what they were discussing there. And maybe they even advanced the choice there. And so what my point is, is that this was teed up. Again, this triumph of this movement on the left for five years was teed up to be finished. Mm -hmm. Maybe the days before this epic meltdown occurred. Yeah, I know. It's among those people, among the people who have been like their day-to-day work life is this movement that you're describing. They must a few times a day right now, just be amazed with the, of the timing of this meltdown. It's it's extraordinary. So what <laughs> they the, were about to, they were about to complete it. They right. were about to be done. <laughs> so for a while this was kind of sitting in the air like would they do and then we started to see mm-hmm. people address it, right? Scott Peters, the congressman, mm-hmm. he said I've checked with Nora Vargas and and Tara Lawson Reamer yeah. on the board and uh they say they wouldn't participate. They assured in, me. They assured me they wouldn't participate in any vote like this. Right. Sort of like a, a hybrid, him making a statement and also like doing reporting. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> like like getting a comment that we would we like people had tried to get and didn't. Yeah. Well, but this followed the board of supervisors meeting where they voted on asking for Nathan to immediately resign. And during that meeting, Tara Lawson Reamer was one of the first supervisors to say like, if he were to try to come back and participate in any sort of vote, I would not be a part of that. Yeah. Um. And, you know, Joel kind of echoed those comments, so did Anderson, but Nora was pretty quiet. So then I think the Scott Peters saying he spoke to Nora was pretty interesting. Yeah, that's you're the one that noticed that. Like, Nora did not say Mm -hmm. anything in that meeting. And so we were all like, well, is she still holding out some hope here? Not that it would matter, though, because if, if, if Tara Lawson Reamer is not going to vote, then they don't have the votes, even with Nathan. Unless both the Republicans which, had joined. Yeah, exactly. In which case, none of this matters. And, so. Yeah, and then, so there was still some like hemming and hawing until mm-hmm. that night. Now, by the way, we just breezed past this, but the Board of Supervisors voted oh, yeah. to both express <laughs> no confidence in Fletcher and to demand that he leaves. It seems like you could do one or the other. Yeah. But the, the, the demand probably covers both sides. Mm-hmm. I, it is. It is like... 
Yeah, if you're demanding him to leave, it kind of says you have no confidence. It's, it's implied a little it's bit. It's okay. I mean, the the two weeks that we've gone through here where like week one, like no one says anything. Like no one <laughs> says anything. Yeah. And then everyone's like, uh, I'd like racing to be like, I support an MTS investigation. Like I support an, an MTS investigationer. Like I'm, yeah. I'm the I'm the most investigationy. And then the third week, it's like he's he's got to retire. He's got to resign right now. Uh, right now is not early enough. He had to resign six minutes ago. He had to resign eleven minutes ago. Like, right. <laughs> like they're just I'm like, the oh, first I, to say he should have resigned a minute ago. And it was now in it's my longer. brain before it was in your brain that he should resign now. <laughs> they're immediate like, res- resignation hipsters. Yes. Like never mind that the, there was like an entire week of where silence. all of the information that we have now basically was out, and no one could be bothered to say like a word. In fact, they were pretty hostile to reporters who suggested that they should say a word. Now, there were two of those comments on the epic pylon that were a little nuanced. One of them was from Council President Sean Elo Rivera, who said, it's my understanding that he is in a facility isolated completely from all communication and thus, I call on him to resign immediately, but only when that's actually possible. Like, we should keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. And then Councilmember Joe, Joe LaCava also said something similar. But we still were waiting on Nora Vargas. Now, she had finally said he should resign immediately, but what about this decision? Mm-hmm. Finally, she put out a joint statement with Tara Lawson-Reamer, where she said, we are going to leave this we are not going to do this with his input. Right. Okay. And now there is still very much debate going on. Yeah. And it is revealed by that statement. So there is a a, a camp that has been whose whose demand has not been immediate resignation. They they started there. Mm-hmm. Like like Jim Desmond said that sunday night right <laughs> after the sunday night statement right <laughs> like, well, i've seen enough he's gotta go yeah uh their demand has been you must start over the process of hiring your cao right like this process is tainted the the people much. who ha- yes the people who have been interviewed who have been recruited who maybe have had offers extended that whole thing has been tainted as you say by Nathan Fletcher's involvement in it previously. And Nora and Tara's statement very clearly does not make good on that demand. They say, we're going to pause this, meaning this hiring process has been fine. Mm -hmm. It's a great process. We're going to pause until we get a new supervisor. Maybe that's an appointee. Maybe we fill a special election, but we're not going to let Nathan come in and cast a deciding vote. And everything's on hold for a little while. Now, I don't know how, I don't know what, you know, Chavez's employment picture is like. How long can she wait? If it's going to be six or eight months, is she going to get another offer? Uh, does is, she still want does the job? Does she still want the job? <laughs> right. Like, there, like lots I'll of. i be like, oof. So, She's like, I got an offer at Google. Yeah. <laughs> Pausing is not a small thing, right? right. Like, people might move on. So, uh, I, I don't mean to minimize that, that what they've done there, but they have not made good on this promise. And so, like this is one of those moments where you have to remind yourself that there's no like basic Republican versus Democrat disagreement on whether a personnel search is tainted by the inclusion at the onset of a somebody who is now the subject of a scandal. 
That is not like a, a core principle right. of either of the parties. That is not something that is a fixture right. of conservative ideology versus liberal ideology. Right. This is not something that like online progressives are constantly fighting with Trumpists about. It is a procedural mechanism that no one has any core care right. of at all. So no one is passionately on the side of restart hiring process or pause hiring process. No one has core beliefs about that. What they have core beliefs on is hire Chavez or don't hire Chavez. Right. That is it. That's the disagreement. And it would probably benefit a, us all to just get there. Just just say what's really going on. Yeah. We're having an open disagreement about whether we should hire that very specific person and her very specific resume to do this job. That's what people are now fighting about. Yeah. At, and that's it. That's the only fight that's going on right now. We still are waiting to hear more about MTS as well um, and what they're going to be doing. Now, we did uncover that uh, there was a lawsuit before from the same attorney who sued on behalf of uh, Gracia Figueroa that he represented a previous MTS employee, a man who said that he stood up for a woman at MTS who was denied a promotion because of uh, her age and uh, her... Like being uh, dating or being married to, I can't remember which, a uh, military member. Right. Like family planning status family as well. Yeah, and he the allegation was that he stood up for her and then was retaliated against. And we found out that was actually settled, right? Yeah, $200,000 settlement. So... This is a this is an interesting time for MTS, and we are waiting to see what investigations reveal. Also, what more we can learn about what actions they took the moment that the attorney sent them a letter saying, "I'm going to sue you for sexual assault, discrimination, and harassment after you fired this employee." Yeah, and granted, like they've hired, they're going to hire an outside firm to look into this. Um, but you know, right. we're going to be paid to do this job anyway. So in the meantime, let's do it. Maybe we try to answer some of those questions on our own yeah, if we can. We'll keep working on <laughs> we'll, it. We got to. We got to. We have to come in every day. I'm. I'm sorry. This is such a. You might be getting sick of hearing it, but this is again the implications and the far-reaching consequences of this scandal are are something that we still every day are are trying to understand because it is so vast on politics on the priorities and public policy that he had, mm -hmm. on the other candidacies for office, on the future of the county, uh, it, the future of things like homelessness and mental health. It's fascinating. Yeah, there's still been no like, no one willing to, to exhibit some leadership on that front. Like, right. You know, MTS will continue to, I mean, I, I maybe they think it's trite or like obvious that we're going to continue to do what we were doing on homelessness or mental health. But like the relationship between the city and the county on homelessness has been different yes. at different times in history, depending on who was in charge. Mm -hmm. It's it's not a foregone conclusion that they'll continue to work together well and have a shared sense of priorities about what needs to happen to make some headway on this topic. Yeah, and, and for instance, Nathan Fletcher was directly involved with the mayor and with private philanthropy and others to put that shelter up in Midway, right? Yeah. And things like that. That that So MTS I, has been an agency that has been like an afterthought regionally, often in its history. 
And like, it's just not a foregone conclusion that under a new board chair, that it will continue to, for better or worse, whether you think this is good or bad, that it'll continue to assert itself in to, you know, to improve uh, public transportation. Yeah. So this, these are quintessential leadership vacuums. And we're kind of waiting to see where people like Nora Vargas or Stephen Whitburn or Todd Gloria or these other people, if it even occurs to them to step into that and show that kind of leadership. Because whatever you want to say about Nathan Fletcher, he had some juice on these topics. Right. Yeah. I mean, exactly. And and the the flip side of it, like Jim Desmond and Joel Anderson seem to have recognized the, exactly. the opportunity that they were they received whereas it sort of seems like on the left everyone has just been shell shocked and they're they're hoping that they can say as little as possible to get through it if you want to follow all of this look the all the things we've been following over the last month there's been a lot of dilemma a lot of scandals a lot of updates a lot of settlements a lot of all kinds of stuff the best way to follow everything in this city like that is with the morning report get it at vosd.org/morning we're uh, meeting every day, talking about the morning report, getting it juiced up. It's looking good these days. Yeah, it is. Everyone's doing a great job. VOSD.org slash morning. Okay, one thing we've been talking about is this 101 Ash Street scandal, right? And the city's decision to outright purchase the two buildings at the heart of that scandal, Center Civic or Civic Center Plaza and 101 Ash Street. And combined, along with the existing city... Cobb, Cab, <laughs> Yeah. Combined with uh, the plaza that surrounds City Hall on C Street downtown, uh, and City Hall itself, and the city operations building across the street, and the Civic Center Theater, and these other two new buildings, that is a six-block footprint downtown. And remember, we were the brilliant podcasters Mm -hmm. who first pointed out that what the city wants is those buildings because it wants to put them all together and try to do some vast, dreamy redevelopment of the whole area that would also provide a lot of affordable housing. A skill that they are fantastic at. They have like a long track record of doing a great job. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Massive real estate deals is is, is really... One of the Say what you will eggs. about this city, <laughs> but but exhibiting masterful real estate development shops, you hold your tongue. Yeah. They're good at that, okay? Hold your tongue. <laughs> uh, so that has been in the works. Now, there is an update this week. So this week was a meeting of the Land Use and Housing Committee at uh, the city of San Diego City Council where they were taking the first step to um, declare five of those six blocks surplus lands and thus welcome the bidders who over the next 60 days might put in bids to redevelop that land. Remember, the city, just like with Sports Arena, as the city has said, this will be just like with Sports Arena. They're going to try to get some bidders and the one that has the best proposal, not necessarily the most proposed affordable housing units, I still don't quite understand what they're talking about there because you cannot have the most affordable housing units, but you need to have the most affordable housing units. It's all about affordable housing, but you do not have to have the most affordable housing units. 
Right. It's, it's, the priority is affordable housing, but that's it, that's clear. But other factors will factor higher in that priority. But the priority is affordable. They housing. also don't have to. They cannot do the affordable housing. You, you have to stipulate that it's about affordable housing, mm -hmm. but it doesn't have to be. But it can be. Yes. And if you want to factor other factors, you can, or not. And you can also dismiss other ones because they don't provide enough affordable housing. Or too much. Or if the other factors that you've in introduced aren't good enough, or if they're too good. Right. <laughs> it makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, no, it's, it's a, this clear is, it's a day. beautiful system. Anyway, let's just introduce the debate about this because there are people who look at this opportunity, and I think they're in large part led by Jennifer Luce, one of the city's most prominent architects, right? And her take is like, whoa, this is a wonderful opportunity to do something iconic, to take risks, to honor city employees, to represent what she calls civicness, and really try to do something special for this area. And she can show slides of Highline Park in New York City or these other iconic Sydney Opera House. Yes, yeah, exactly. Could we do something special with Beautiful. this? Beautiful. Right. Mm -hmm. This is an opportunity once in a which hundred we, years. Which we did with the downtown central library. Yeah. And this isn't the, the exactly. It would be the next in a string of successes downtown from Peco Park to the Shell, Waterfront Park to this would, you know, complete kind of the center of the spokes, right? The yeah. wheel. Oh, and, and, Obviously, the Horton Plaza. Right. <laughs> yeah, the Innovation District we, at Horton yeah. Plaza. Yeah. I thought yeah. you were going to say Snapdragon. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, Balboa Park, right. The whole like connection, right? Yes. So, sure. so she's, and, and I was in a, a meeting of, of designers and architects where, they, where she was presenting that. And, and they were like, this is so inspiring. You're absolutely right. And uh, <laughs> did they say it that way? <laughs> they did. You're absolutely right. Yes, they were very excited in the, the way that designers and architects get. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But there was a city employee there, a, a member. Of, How many times did somebody say some version of the word urbanity? Uh, I didn't get urbanity. Uh, I okay. didn't hear that one. Mm. But the the city, uh, the mayor's representative who was there was was like, yes, this is, this is principles we're going to keep in mind. Um, just FYI, Thursday, we're going to move to, to, to dispose of these properties through the Surplus Lands Act. It's going to be just like the sports arena project. So it kind of felt like maybe they were just going to build a new city hall on the, where the city operations building is, the fire station along Front Street there. And then they were going to let developers handle the other five blocks next to it. And when the architects were like, well, what are you going to, are you going to be able to impose the vision that we come up with for this or that the designers, the dreamers come up with for this? He's like, yeah, 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 totally. And I just am not sure yeah. that the developer chosen for that is going to do something big and bold and interesting. Yeah. I mean, there's no question that like, if you, whether you look at sports arena or like the seaport village, uh, you know, five or six, maybe seven years ago that was now when the port selected developer for that, the public agencies in San Diego have seen their job as to just choose someone who,
who they like. To set the table. And to just, yeah, that, to, to just get somebody in the room who they think can pull it off and then kind of get out of the way. There is very little of like, we'll set the ground rules and pretty strictly define what we want this to be and then just choose somebody who gets to build it, you know? Yeah. The, the planning and designing from the public agency has been at Sports Arena, at Seaport Village. I mean, Seaport Village the openly, they actually adopted a policy where instead of they were going to do a master plan for their entire waterfront, and then they stopped and said, well, we'll just pick developers for each of these different projects, and then whatever they propose will be the master plan. It literally, we'll let them write the master plan for their portion of the thing. So there's not been much of like public agencies dictating the design and city building decisions at their core assets. Except for they do explicitly say that for the one block where they want to build a new city hall, that's exactly what they will do. They will, it will be a public project where they say, we're building this. You will build this for us. This is the design you will help us get and you will build this for us. So sounds like from what you're hearing, we're going to get that on one block if they manage to figure out how to pay for it. And then the other five blocks will be some mixed use stuff like what we otherwise see around downtown. I mean, I, I don't know. It, so the group was the Regional Design Advisory Council uh, that was meeting for this. This is a group of, again, these designers who have come together to try to have these conversations every mm-hmm. you know month to discuss this. And... I do feel like they're they're getting kind of like a both they're getting what they want to hear <laughs> kind of like the decision making process from the surplus land act. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's definitely this. Yeah, you can uh, but also you not. can definitely prioritize yeah. this vision you have. Yeah. But also we have to prioritize affordable housing. Yeah. And affordable housing is the most important thing, but you can also say that you're going to do these other things too cuz that's important and that can help you make your decision. But I do think you're right, and that's a central insight that there is a there is a an assumption here that we just clear the land and and offer things up, and you on this public land developer will will help us reach the vision that that's the that's how these things work in San Diego. It does seem to be the case. Well, I could never. I'd have to know exactly what's happening and want them to bring my vision to life, and <laughs> mm-hmm. I'd tell them how to do it. <laughs> it does seem like. For something, it really is the a, a vast and central important area of the city of San Diego, and this decision will define it and thus the rest of the city for two hundred years. So what? Yeah, there's not going to be another time where the city of San Diego can dictate the construction of six blocks in the dead center. Of downtown San Diego. Yeah, and one that's of the, not happening. One of the things. Soon. One of the things Jennifer Luce said in this discussion was, for instance, we need to make sure we work with Sandag to make this a transportation hub. Mm-hmm. Sandag has thought about doing a downtown transportation hub like this, where the you know the trolley comes in, the high speed rail comes in, and the buses come in, and also it's a beautiful architectural building, and there's affordable housing on top or whatever. Now I can I can hear people yelling like this. Going the dreamer route will just get nothing. Right. That will just be stuck in paralysis for for a decade. 
which is also something that we have a history of here. Bad news is we have a history of doing that even without doing the Dramer thing. <laughs> even even the practical route often seems to lead to paralysis. Let's do a little something different this time. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the I think the the nut graph is that they're going to declare those five blocks surplus, and they're going to get somebody within sixty days to start negotiating. Well, unless it. they don't, unless no one does, because so when you de- declare surplus land act in that first sixty days, anybody who comes in has to agree to 25% affordable housing. Uh When that 60 days goes through, that 25% requirement falls off. Mm. And then you can do your open bidding process like happened at the sports arena at the lower, I believe, either 10% or 15% affordable requirement. And you can do all the other stuff. So the the 60-day period would, I think, would be it would be surprising if anyone jumped on that, probably, Uh, you know. I think I think the city itself would be surprised if anyone submits in those 60 days. All right. Well, you should pay attention to that. Again, we'll follow that at um, all of our morning reports and newsletters and such. But I have my own link now, VOSD.org slash Scott. I've been, I write sometimes, VOSD.org slash Scott. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. Join culture creator Remel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's Program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Kroc School's dedicated community fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. So the city of San Diego also, the city council today, mm-hmm. we're recording this Thursday, was in that land use and housing committee dis- uh, discussion. And they were also discussing the big proposed ordinance that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Stephen Whitburn, Mayor Todd Gloria, and some of their allies have put forward a proposal that there be a new city ordinance that says, A, you can't camp within, what is it, 500 feet of a school or um, you know other public like area, a transit hub, transit hub, shelters, right, um, and par- parks, some parks, right, and then also, so that's all the time, all the time, and then you can't camp anywhere else if there's shelter available, right. Alliance San Diego put together a map mm-hmm. of all the places that you couldn't camp based on the idea like at all, no mm-hmm. matter what. 
It's like a whole blob. <laughs> and it's just the whole city. Yeah. There's like a couple places. It's like when they did the marijuana dispensaries, the cannabis dispensaries, and they made all these rules about what they couldn't be around. And it turned out to be like three little tiny corners uh -huh. all throughout the city that you could have one. <laughs> it's a similar type thing, right? It's just there's mm -hmm. just there's very little spaces. And plus it would be bananas for those places that were accepting or whatever of right. those areas, right? Right. So I think that that was interesting because they were putting it out like, see, this is, this is ab abhorrent. Mm -hmm. How could you let that happen? Right. And then I, th I don't think they understood, though, that's what they want, right. right? That's the reason you bring forward an ordinance like this. Yeah, they no want- No other reason. Yeah, they want to make it illegal to camp in, in San Diego. They've just made it illegal through a, a more complicated mm -hmm. you know, way of saying it. Now, the other half of the ordinance was supposed to, or the mandate was supposed to be like, oh, we will also provide safe spaces for them to be. Right. Now, that seems to have been a little bit more difficult for them to imagine. The mayor came out today and said, don't worry, we're on that. We've already increased shelter space by, he keeps bringing up that 65% number. There's still far fewer spaces available for people who have already expressed interest in getting shelter, right? There's, there's more people who want shelter right now mm -hmm. than there is space for. Right. So regardless of how much it's gone up or whatever, it doesn't, it doesn't match. It's still not matching the need yeah. for what people need, yeah. How can you, uh, you know, there, it's a, it has to be both sides. You can't just say like, it's just illegal. And then what are you going to do? You put them all in jail. That's shelter there. You might as well pay for a cheaper version. Mm -hmm. So that happened all at the same time this week. Our reporter, Lisa Halberstadt, um, discovered an interesting, uh, interesting stat. She said that over a recent eight-month period, she reported just 11% of the people who left city shelters moved into permanent homes. Mm -hmm. The basic message being that the city and its providers and other partners are having a lot of trouble getting people out of shelters into stable lifestyles. And so we can build a lot more shelters, but that number is going to have to go up. Right. The housing number. Right. <laughs> All of it is, is yet more data to how helpless this situation feels. Mm -hmm. And that's from me, a housed resident. Um. There are always these incredible generalizations people make about all the people on the street. Well, they're all X or they're all Y and we should do X and that'll take care of them. Or we just, you know, and it's, it kind of drives me nuts. And that's why I was so thrilled this week to see what your team had, had done, uh, which is a, uh, a great presentation, a photo essay of people who were camping in San Diego, were living out in the streets, in the parks, trying to make things work, and who they were, how they got there, what they dealt with. And the producer of that was our multimedia journalist, Ariana Dressler, and she joins us in studio today. Hey, Ariana. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. That was a very powerful piece of journalism. I think the idea um, when you, know, you were talking about this project was we were in this moment where we were hearing a lot of things um, that would be coming forward. And this ordinance was still like in the early stages when we were talking about this project. 
Um, but, you know, we're hearing lots of things like shelters here, um, enforcement here, maybe a safe campground here, maybe a safe camp- campground there. You know, we're hearing all these things. And it's like Ariana was just had this moment where she's like, has anyone ever asked like people experiencing homelessness, like what would benefit them, like what they want, what they want to see the region do? You know, they're residents as well. They're uh, San Diegans as well. Like, what do they want? And so, um, yeah, she spent uh, a couple months. Let's let's talk about a, a few of them. So, how did what did you do? Where did you go? Yeah, so let's start with downtown on uh, Commercial Street. And so, you know, I've heard and I've seen right that it's a rough area. So I was a little careful approaching, um, but I started talking to people and just saying what I was working on, what I wanted to accomplish. And let's talk about Rachel Hayes. She saw me talking to some people. As I was walking away, she just looked at me. I saw her smoking a cigarette, and she's like, what are you doing? And then I was like, oh, let's see, right? So I approached her, and we spoke, and she said, yeah. She said, I have no problem you interviewing me. So uh, we talked for a while about her life. Um, And and just to be clear, this is an incredible picture and a couple pictures of her you have, and she looks like she could be – watching her son's baseball game at a little league she doesn't you know again these generalizations we have uh she she doesn't fit the stereotypes in a lot of ways yeah some some people don't right Right. so let's actually back up a little bit so one of the reasons why i wanted to to do this story is exactly what andrea said and also too when when you see somebody who's homeless a lot of times people look the other way and i've been guilty of that um but as a photographer you're not supposed to look away, right? And so that's what I wanted to do with this. But yeah, so Rachel, um, so she told me what the reason, she's been homeless since 2012. And she said the reason she was on the streets because a series of bad decisions, right? And a lot of them involved drugs. And uh, she was married to a guy who ended up in jail, who uh, and he ended up dying in jail. Um, and so she started working on her sobriety uh, last year, and so, November. And she's been sober ever since, right? But so li- listening to her story, right, she had a family, right, has a sister. Um, and as she got older, she was not close with her, with her mom or her sister. And but still, right, I mean, she still had a family. Every person I interview has a family. We all have families, right? And so that's what was interesting, listening to kind of the downfall of how she became homeless. And it seemed like it was because of drugs and making bad decisions of the partners she also chose. So she became homeless and then eventually was staying at shelters and got kicked out. I I can't tell you as to why she got kicked out because I'm a little confused. It seemed a little convoluted um, for me to follow. Um, And then she felt more comfortable being on the street. And so she decided she's not shelter material. But then what's kind of interesting is that she decided to get sober when she like living on the street, which seems really hard when you're surrounded by people that are using drugs. Or the just the the, the cold, yeah. the 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 lack of sleeping, the threats that you might perceive all the time. Yeah. It seems like coping with drugs would, would be a part of that. But yeah, that is incredible. So does she have any hope? Yeah, I think so. So she's supposed to get housing in May. Right. And she has someone that checks in on her once a week. Um, and she's and she's an advocate also, right, for homeless people. She volunteers at a church. She goes to church. Mm-hmm. And so I think there is hope. Right? She actually was just at a city council meeting. Really? She's there um, right now. Mm-hmm. She's there right now. Um, so so she's not a fan of the ordinance, I guess. Not a fan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, yeah, tell us about another one. So let's talk about Carmen. So Carmen's the first person I interviewed. Um, I saw her next to the 94. Um, and so in the East Village, she was talking to somebody who uh, also unhoused. And I spent I th- a couple of hours with Carmen. I didn't realize that she had mental, uh, that there was issues there. But in the time that I spent with her, I was in her room, and her room, there was writing on the wall. It was not clean, but you could tell that she, you know, she was sweeping, and I think she felt a little uncomfortable that it wasn't exactly. So she had a room. She had a room, yeah. She's staying at uh, Alpha Alpha Square. Okay. Right? Um, and and it was kind of, kind, of, kind of her to invite me into the room. And so we spoke there. The room was falling apart. Clothes, you know, packed in corners, trash. But she told me about her life, right? And she had a tough life. And so, in the, and she's also bipolar. There could be other issues there too. Because when I was interviewing her, she was hearing voices and seeing things. And I asked her if she wanted to stop the interview, and she said no. Um, but that was, I mean, it was it was really heartbreaking because she says that she does want help, right? Because she does use drugs. Um, she does sleep on the street uh, every now and then because she says it calms the voices in her head. To be on the street. Yeah. And so, so she has a room, but she sleeps on the street sometimes, right? And she feels alone. She doesn't feel like she has enough support. And so that was really heartbreaking to hear. You know, I, where Carmen is today, I, I don't know. Was it hard? Oh, hell yeah. It was very hard. Yeah, it was hard. And and to be quite frank, the reason it took me a couple months to do this story is because some of these stories are really sad. So in order to be present for each person, I too had to kind of like back away and just be like, okay, I'm mentally strong to, to talk to somebody else again. So because I don't think it's really fair to anybody if I'm not really there, then it's kind of like, what's the point of doing doing this story? So mm. you want to yeah. do another one? Let's talk about Danielle and her son, JD. This was a heartbreaking. This thing. was very heartbreaking. So again, when you, when, when some people, you know, when people think of, of unhoused, right, there's a stereotype. But Danielle, she worked as a flight attendant for 10 years, right? And so the reason her and her son came to San Diego is because she's like, I could be homeless in a cold place like Wisconsin and maybe not make it, or I could try San Diego with the maybe a better chance. She lost her job in the pandemic, right? Yeah, during the pandemic, yeah. And so, um, and she's, her ex-husband, she's, I believe, still legally married, but her ex-husband, I believe, is in South South Africa. Um, and so what's really sad about her story, it was just like a series of, of things that were happening, right? So she lost her job. Her husband, um, they didn't get along. He was He was abusive. Her mom has stage four cancer. Right. So it was like a series of things. And I mean, talk about, you know, it's bad luck. Right. And it's more than bad luck. But with all, also not having the proper support, what do you do? So she's here trying to do her best, uh, working for a delivery app when she can. And that was just, yeah, it was an incredibly heartbreaking. She story. has a little boy. Five years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's on the street. She's actually staying in a shelter. Yeah. In downtown. Got it. Yeah, but she was sleeping in her car at one point. So she, this was the one who's who was who came and her job was to deliver food, but then her car broke down. 
Yeah. And she lost the car. She lost the car. So then she eventually got a bike, right? And had a a little, um, an attachment for her bike to put her son. Um, but she said because it rained so much, it was hard for her to work. And then also, too, she said, you know, and I, I mentioned this in the article, is that she's like, I know that everyone's trying to do the best they can as far as, like, city officials and trying to get, like, EBT, an EBT card. Um, but she said that she just wished things would move a lot faster. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the common themes that come up is just like how hard it is to be homeless. Like it's the, to pull together all of the documents you need to to get housing, all the documents you need to get your driver's license or your car back, all the documents you need to get a job, let alone, you know, uh, start to pull all that together and to get enough wealth to to get off the streets. It's just it's just a overwhelming uh, burden and so you got some of that vividly from a lot of these people about I just did, how yeah. how hard it was to do anything like that i did i so i think out of the nine people uh there was one person that seemed like he lost hope and that was the vet and that was josh his last name is nichols and that was really heartbreaking what do you mean he lost hope so some of the people, I think most of the people I spoke to, right, was saying they're on a list for housing or trying to get housing. He didn't really, he just seemed like, he did, as when we talk about the future. This is his life. Yeah. When we talked about the future, it was kind of like, yeah, this is it, you know. And then uh, there is a quote saying, you know, I said, what do you, ask him about the future. And he said, you know, just trying to survive. Well, it was a very powerful essay. Is there anything you would point to that you pulled away from it, like that that you learned that you didn't know about being homeless before that? Um, yeah, a few different things. One of them I realized it really hit home when I was like, wow, this this could be this could be me. This could be anybody. You know, if you didn't have the proper support, this could easily, you know, one one bad decision, one one paycheck, two paychecks away from from being homeless. Yeah, I would say one of the things, and I think we talked about it, is um, what stood out for me was like how often individuals who maybe had had some sort of shelter or had been in a shelter and how that might have not worked out for them. I think there was a couple individuals in your essay who had pets, um, a couple who were concerned about just like how shelter shelters operate and the freedom that they have um, and like, um, you know, the theft issues um, you know, as we start, as we're listening to officials talking about the solutions that they're offering, um, you know, in contrast to what people who've experienced and been in those situations are saying they need, uh, to me, the biggest takeaway is people just like want, just want to be housed. Like they've, they don't like whatever shelter system is in place and they prefer the communities that they've created and have trust in and have some sort of like safety uh, within those communities, right? Like I, there was a young woman who you said she preferred the street. She had a community there. She didn't like the shelters. And her mom was also homeless and living on the street nearby. Like obviously that's her community. Um, so yeah, I just, I found that fascinating as as we continue to um, explore options to solve the crisis. And to add more content to that. So Marie, who's 18 years old, I asked her about that. And she said, she's like, I don't trust anybody out here except the people like her boyfriend and her mom, right? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's her community, mm -hmm. right? And so she kind of had an interesting outlook um, saying that here it's, you know, like when you're down here, it doesn't feel like real life. 
Did she have the dogs? Yeah, she has. Yeah. That was one of my takeaways was just how prominent pets are, dogs are. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really interesting one because we often hear them, providers say like, yeah, you can bring your pet. But I think what she said is she did and didn't go well. That's the other thing you can't keep in mind, right? Like that you bring your dog somewhere and it and it might not like well. the other dogs. <laughs> yeah, so Sylvia had a problem with that. Sylvia right. Ibarra from uh, San Isidro, right? So she was she stayed in a shelter and apparently her little dog, right? Like I guess caused problems. And even when I was there, she was yelling, yelling at her dog. And I was trying not to laugh, but she would constantly yelled at him. <laughs> so yeah. there was these comical moments, <laughs> but yeah. I think that's that's interesting to me because there's one one of the people in your essay said I I would prefer to be homeless with my dogs than than in a shelter with without them. And I, you know, as somebody who has dogs, I could see that. I could yeah. see wanting that dog with me over the fear of being alone in a place that was scary, that, you know, it was different without them. And I think that's that gets back to one of the core things I've been talking about for a long time, which is just like this this balance that people have this decision they've made with their tents and such that they would prefer, like you said, to be in a community of people they at least see and know with their pets and their support system than to be forced in almost institutionalized through this like storage system for them. Right. And, and that one, there's two ways to, to address that. One is to try to make the options for them more attractive than the street option. Or, which seems to be what the city and others or what other people want the city to do, which is to make it as uncomfortable as possible to be in the, in the tent and in those communities so that, you, that balance is disrupted and you have to or you're more compelled to take that shelter option. Right. Um, well, it was a very powerful series. Uh, and thank you for, for taking that effort and, and putting it together like you did. It was, it was uh, gorgeous and troubling just as it should have been. You can see that photo essay and all of Ariana's work at VOSD.org slash Ariana. That's A-R-I-A-N-A. Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in this part of downtown. Don't forget about the link, VOSD.org slash events. Our next live show is coming up May 10th at Whistle Stop. With two special guests, we're not going to tell you who they are. And it's not because we don't know. We definitely know. We are the most popular public affairs podcast in San Diego that definitely knows who the two special guests are for our May 10th event at Whistle Stop. Voice members will get in free. And you can register now at VOSD.org slash events. Again, $3 a month will make that possible for you. And it helps us make ends meet. We'll see you there. I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice San Diego. Andrew Keats is Managing Editor. Andre Lopez Villafaña is also Managing Editor. Nate John is our excellent producer. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.